Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, Syekh. Waalaikumsalam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Tafadhal, Syekh, insyaallah. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. First let me say that the whole story about my conversion to Islam is available on YouTube. <laughs> Recorded in Malaysia in around 2000 as one and a half hour lecture and last year from University of Nottingham in Malaysia also the story was retold so this is like the third retelling of the story well this will be the first time that it's translated into bahasa so alhamdulillah so the story begins with my birth in jamaica central america known to you for bob marley <laughs> and Usain Bolt <laughs> okay well alhamdulillah Jamaica is also known for Bilal Phillips <laughs> Muslim <laughs> uh, my parents took me to Canada and I grew up in Canada uh, from the time I was about seven years old so I grew up in Toronto one of the largest cities in Canada and after graduating I migrated with my family to Sabah to Kota Kinabalu in Sabah there I was preparing for entering university in Canada <coughs> I lived there for off and on about two years and uh, while I was there my mother adopted an Indonesian boy uh, who entered our family my mother in adopted this young man because of the fact that in Indonesia that in, in uh, Malaysia at that time Indonesians who were born there didn't have the opportunity for university studies. He was one of her students. My, both my parents were teachers. So this young man, we knew him as Westman. Later I came to find out that the origin of his name was Aus Suleiman, became Westman as I think you contract names in this way. Anyway, um, he grew up with us and myself, my brother, my sister. We observed that he did different things than we did. I mean, I had grown up as a Christian and Christianity, of course, was just going on Sundays to the church. But we did observe that sometimes we'd go in his room and we'd find him prostrating you know and we didn't know what he was doing because we had no idea what Islam was my mother and father had an idea about Islam my mother had studied 
about Islam in university in Canada. So she was very um, careful to make sure that our adopted brother would not be compromised, his religion wouldn't be compromised. So she, uh, during Ramadan, when he fasted, she would get up early in the morning and prepare suhoor for him. And um, if we had dinner uh, eating pork, she would prepare fish for him. Uh, and on Sundays, with the Sunday dinner, they would, we normally used to drink a small glass of wine. So he would have grape juice, you know. So my, my mother was very careful. Uh, but we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know. We just knew he did different things. Otherwise, he was the same as us. Uh, during this period of time also, I, along with a couple other um, sons of expatriates, formed a rock group. Uh, and um, I used to play guitar and sing uh, on stage there in Saba. I styled myself after Jimi Hendrix. Maybe this before most of your time, but I was known as the Jimi Hendrix. So uh, I played uh, there, um, and the significance of this I will tell you later on. But we had a three-man group, and this was another side of my life, uh, which I continued for some time. I moved to Canada when I was accepted into Simon Fraser University in British Columbia and began my studies there in biochemistry. And I became a student activist because I became conscious of problems in the world. Uh, and that led me to want to change the world, to make the world a better place. And the only system that was offering this change at the time was communism. Some of the professors leaned towards communism, so they uh, made dawa to us students to become communists. And I converted to communism from Christianity. That's so I, I went to the United States from Canada before completing my degree in biochemistry. I went uh, to San Francisco, to Los Angeles, and I was engaged with other uh, student activists, you know, as a communist and supporting communist causes in the U.S. for a couple of years. However, I soon became disillusioned to what communism claimed and what was the reality on the ground. Communism spoke about brotherhood and fraternity, but Stalin and Mao massacred millions of their citizens. Uh, there was no system of morality. Whatever would forward the revolution was justified. And having grown up in a practicing 
Christian home, I had a sense of right and wrong, uh, of morality, which communism rejected as being uh, outdated and not uh, effective in promoting the revolution. I returned to Canada, to Toronto, after those couple of years in the States, joined another communist party movement in Toronto, but still in my mind now I was starting to look elsewhere to find some other system which could replace and provide what communism claimed to provide. And it was at this time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened a window to me on Islam. One of the members of the organization, a female, converted to Islam. So this caused me to wonder uh, why. So I asked her why. When we had been taught that religion was the opium of the masses, right? It is a means of drugging the masses and exploiting them. So how could you then become a Muslim? So she tried to explain to me that no, Islam was different. It's not like the other religions. Those ideas came from looking at Christianity and how it operated. So I asked for some books to read and I discussed with some others who had converted to Islam from the States as well as some uh, Canadians there in Toronto at that time. And after some uh, period of discussion and reading, I came to the conclusion that Islam was in fact the summary of all that was good in communism, in capitalism, in Christianity, uh, socialism, all of the good that was identified there was in Islam. And all of the evils found in these systems were not present in Islam. So I became convinced, at least intellectually, I was convinced that Islam was the answer for changing the situation of human beings, for human society, uh, to be a just, a fair uh, society. But I had lived now four years in communism, years in which I denied the existence of God and had accepted that there is no God. So though I realized that Islam intellectually was the true way for human society, spiritually I wasn't able to accept because I didn't believe in God. So it took another event or experience to 
bring my soul, my heart to Islam. What happened was that I was living in a commune. This is a house in which uh, different people had uh, rooms and we shared the rent and shared the cooking and the different things together. But we were all individuals, students at university and others. And uh, in my room, I used to read a lot, so I had a lot of books there. And uh, people used to come into my room from time to time, even when I wasn't there, to use the books, read uh, from the books. And one day, when I had lain down on the bed just to rest, uh, I went into a state between being awake and being asleep. Meaning, I started to dream, but I was aware that I was in the room and I could see some people who had come in and were sitting at the desk, my desk, and were reading some of my books. And I, I, I started to have this dream. So, I saw myself in this dream uh, entering a huge warehouse, entering into this huge building. There was a door. I came in. I had a bicycle with me. I used to ride bicycle for exercise. I was walking in this uh, structure uh, with my bike, walking in. It's dark inside, but I'm walking in. And as I be I go deeper and deeper into that building, I would turn and look to see, make sure that the doorway I came through was still there, right? But somehow I was driven to keep going deeper and deeper. And of course, as I went deeper and deeper, the doorway became smaller and smaller, right? And I started to develop fear of what might happen. But still, I was driven to keep going in. And, of course, eventually, I reached the point where I turned around and I couldn't see the door anymore. So I was in complete darkness. And at that point, uh, I was overcome by fear. Fear that if I didn't get out of this situation, I would never... Uh, escape, I would in fact die. It was fear of death. Struck me. So I began to scream. Those people who I could still somehow see sitting at the desk, though I was in this state of complete darkness, I, I was aware that they were sitting there and I started to scream, help me, help me, you know, to get me out of this situation. But no sound would come out of my mouth. I was screaming in my head, but no sounds would come out of my throat. So, of course, they didn't hear me. I'm screaming. I can't uh, reach them. And I reached the point of submission in the sense of giving up. I just reached the point after screaming, screaming. They couldn't help me. I couldn't help myself. I was reached the point where I said... I'm lost. I'm finished. 
And at that point, when I let go, believing that I was finished, I woke up. Right? I came out of it. So later I, I, I came to know that you know, many people have this experience where you feel yourself in a dream, you want to get out and you're just stuck there. You can't, you know, most people have experienced this some time or the other. For me, that was the first time. I'd never experienced that before. So in my mind, I interpreted it as proof, spiritual proof that there is a God. Because I couldn't help myself. The people in the room couldn't get me out of that situation. So then how did I get out? The only other explanation that remained was God. God brought me out of that. So that was the spiritual leap that I needed to make to accept Islam in its totality. So at this point, I was ready to accept Islam. Uh, I declared my Shahada. Uh, and that was 1972. I declared my Shahada. And then... I was taught Salah, right? Same day. When I was taught Salah and I was taught Sujood, then it clicked in my mind that my adopted brother was a Muslim, right? Because he had never said anything about Islam to myself or my brothers and sisters. He never said anything. We were too shy to ask him and he was, I guess, too shy to say anything. So it was at that point I realized that he was a Muslim. And by then he had gone to, to Ottawa with my parents. He was studying in the University of Ottawa. And immediately I decided to go to Ottawa to, to see him, share with him that I had become a Muslim. But also I wanted to share my anger that I had been all those years with him and he never said anything about Islam you know because this was wrong he should have said something so when I went to Ottawa and I met him and I told him I had become Muslim he was very happy I hugged him and everything but then afterwards I pushed him back and said why didn't you say anything about Islam you know all those years I had to go through you could have saved me all of that, you know, the communist and all this other stuff, you know, to have told me about Islam. So he tried to explain. He said, you know, your parents were so kind to me to help me. I didn't want to introduce anything which would create confusion in the family, maybe make them upset. And so I wanted to, you know, avoid that. They were good to me. I wanted to remain good to them. But I said, this is not acceptable. Not acceptable. You know, that's your excuse. But it's not an excuse before Allah. You have a duty you should have told me. You know, I was quite upset. But alhamdulillah afterwards, uh, then, you know, we embraced each other again and I was able to get over it. So at this point, of course, after accepting Islam, I started to give da'wah to both my parents, tried to encourage them to become Muslims, my brother and sisters, uh, you know, who by the same father and mother, I tried to encourage them to become Muslims. And I tried to learn as much as I could about Islam uh, there in, in Canada. Um, but 
in my efforts to try to learn Islam in Canada, because there were no real scholars there, they were just uh, migrants, people had come from different parts of the Muslim world, from India, Pakistan, from Egypt, uh, Morocco, and their different places. So I would just try to get as much as I can from each person. They would tell me something, you know, I would take note of it, etc. And um, I reached a point of confusion there in Canada that though I had accepted Islam when I was trying to learn from all these different people I started to hear different stories different explanations so I, I had to make a decision what am I going to do with this so you know I, I had gone when I first became Muslim uh, with a group of brothers from from uh, Pakistan and India uh, who were part of a movement called Jamaat Tabligh. So I traveled with them, and they convinced me that I should be a Hanafi. So I decided to become a Hanafi. Then, after studying with them and getting as much information as I could, I moved uh, with my wife close to the masjid, and the imam of this masjid I moved next to, he was from Egypt. So he started to teach me from fiqh sunnah basically Shafi'i Madhab. So I started to see contradictions and issues. And then I befriended some brothers from Morocco who were explaining to me about how life was in Muslim life in Morocco. And they started to show me the Maliki Madhab. So uh, this is where I reached a point. I said I had to decide. I thought Islam was one. You know, I know Christianity had all of these different sects and things, but Islam was supposed to be just one. So what was going on here? Uh, they tried to convince me that all the madhabs were correct, but you just have to follow one. Doesn't matter which one you follow, but just follow one. They're all correct. So, though they were telling me they were all right, I saw problems that couldn't be explained with that explanation. I saw very clearly that the Shafi'i school was saying that if a man accidentally touches a woman, his wudu is gone and her wudu is gone. And the Hanafi madhab was saying, if a man accidentally touches a woman, his wudu is fine. It's not gone. Her wudu is not gone. So, if both of them was right, if both Hanafi and Shafi were right, then it means it is possible for you to have wudu and not have wudu at the same time. So I couldn't accept this. Just like I couldn't accept in Christianity that God was three in one. They said he was one, but then there was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three gods in one. So he was one and he was three. That, to accept that, you have to shut off your brain. Right? So in the same way to accept that you could have wudu and not have wudu at the same time, you have to shut off your brain. So at that point, I decided 
I needed to leave Canada. I needed to go back to where Islam started. And Allah opened the door. Scholarship was available to go and study in Medina. At that time, nobody wanted the scholarships. They were said, there's, there's a waste of time to go study in Medina. You know, they're teaching from old yellow books that are covered in dust. You know, it's ancient stuff, not applicable to your daily life. You won't be able to look after your home, your family, you know, if you studied there. But I said, I need to know Islam. I need to get to the sources and understand this way of life, which I believe is correct. There is an explanation for what was confused to me. So I decided to go there anyway. So after studying there, alhamdulillah, it became clear to me what the problem was. That the problem was really people. It's not really the deen. Right? I came to realize that Imam Abu Hanifa wasn't a Hanafi. And Imam Ashafi wasn't a Shafi. The Shafi school and Imam Shafi are two different things. Meaning that the rulings that are in the Shafi school, some of them were the opinion of Abu Hanif, of Imam Shafi, but many of them were not. Same thing in the Hanafi school. So then the question became: So what was the madhab of Imam Shafi? What was the madhab of Imam Abu Hanifa? Then from my study it became clear that they both had the same madhab. They, along with Imam Malik and Ahmed ibn Hanbal, all of them followed one madhab. That one madhab was the madhab of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It was the madhab of Abu Bakr, of Umar, Uthman, and Ali. That was their madhab. Because really, if we are to follow a madhab, meaning a, a ruling, of the rulings of one particular scholar of the past, wasn't Abu Bakr the best of the ummah? Hmm? So, isn't his madhab the best to follow? That is logical. That is the logical conclusion. So, the madhab which he followed is the madhab followed by all of the early scholars of Islam, uh, whether they're in the well-known madhabs or outside the well-known madhabs. They were all seeking to follow the madhab of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is what is obligatory on every Muslim. So both Abu Hanifa and Imam Shafi said, "Ida sahal hadith, fahuwa madhabi." If the hadith is correct, then that is my true madhab. That was their statement, clarifying that they were striving to follow the way of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So when we come back to that issue. When you touch a woman, is your wudu broken and hers broken or not? We have to go back to the hadith. And there is authentic hadith that Prophet Muhammad 
kissed his wives and led the salah. So if a man touching a woman breaks his wudu, then what are we saying about Rasulullah wasallam? So this is the point. It was right and wrong. In this case, the Hanafi school ruling of Abu Hanifa was the correct ruling. Your wudu is not broken. So you don't have to do what many people do from the Shafi'i Madhab in different parts of the world. That when you're going for Hajj, your local Maulana or Sheikh or whatever will tell you, listen, you make the niya, the special dua you make, that you are going for Hajj as a Hanafi. And when you come back from Hajj, you make another dua that turns you back into a Shafi'i. We don't have to do this. So, alhamdulillah, uh, in Medina, when I was there in the mid-70s, I studied there under Sheikh Nasruddin al-Albani. He was one of the teachers whose classes I sat in regularly. Uh, I also studied under Sheikh bin Baz. Uh, later became a translator for Sheikh bin Baz in Riyadh. I studied under Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad. As well as Sheikh Muqbil, I studied Takhrij Hadith in the home of Sheikh Muqbil. And alhamdulillah, you know, that was a, a wonderful period of time uh, in which uh, there was so much uh, knowledge available from leading scholars of that time, of, including, of course, is Sheikh Abu Bakr al Jazairi and others. Having graduated from Medina, I went to Riyadh. I did my master's, as you heard, in Riyadh, Riyadh University. Became a teacher at the same time, teaching in high school. My parents came to Riyadh, actually, before me, as teachers there. And uh, I taught Islamic studies at the same school in which they uh, managed, called Manarat Riyadh Schools. And I continued to try to give them dawah. You know, time now had passed, some six years since I accepted Islam. So during the next uh, ten years, I continued to try to give them dawah in Riyadh. But they didn't convert. But during this period in the 80s, I became involved in giving dawah to people in Riyadh, foreigners who were there, uh, mostly Filipinos and uh, found, alhamdulillah, that the Filipinos were very receptive to Islam. Many of them converted. I started to translate the khutbah of Juma uh, into English for them. This was the first translations of khutbahs which were done in Saudi Arabia. And uh, from that, eventually, we set up the first da'wah center in Batha, uh, which later became hundreds of da'wah centers all across uh, Saudi Arabia. In 1991, uh, after the Gulf War, first Gulf War with uh, Saddam Hussein uh, and half a million American troops uh, were brought into Saudi Arabia, uh, supposedly to fight them. Uh, after that Gulf War, they had to be processed back out of the country. And I led a team of uh, Duat uh, where we set up in their camp, their main camp in Khobar, Khobar Towers in Eastern Arabia, uh, a Dawah tent, which was called the Saudi Arabian Cultural Information Tent. And Alhamdulillah, 
in the next five months from the time we started, five and a half months, we had over 3,000 American troops accepted Islam. Alhamdulillah. So after that, in, in um, 93, I completed my PhD uh, from University of Wales, and I went to Canada to visit my parents because um, by the end of the 90s, they went back to Canada. I went to visit them. And alhamdulillah, when I stayed with them about the second night after I had gotten there, uh, my mother and then my father came to me and both said they wanted to become Muslims. So that was, you could say, one of the happiest days of my life. Um, both of my parents took shahada on the same day. So this was after 21 years of da'wah. I had given them da'wah for 21 years. They both accepted Islam. Actually, I had already given up <laughs> earlier than the 21 years. I had tried everything that I thought I could. Um, I had written a book based on a, a lecture which I gave in, in, in Riyadh uh, called The True Religion of God. This book I had written, I had given it as a lecture, and I'd asked my parents to edit for me from the English perspective. My dad was an English expert. My mom was very strong in English also, but she was a science teacher. But anyway, both of them went over the book, and I asked them if there was anything they found wrong to let me uh, correct it, you know, if there are any mistakes, whether grammatical or even conceptual, even ideas, if it wasn't well presented, let me know so I could correct it and give me their suggestions. So they went through the whole book and made some su suggestions, changes. I made the changes, etc. And after they said, yeah, it's fine now, I said, so then why don't you become Muslims? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they said, okay, give us a Quran. We'll start to read it. So that was a step. But they didn't accept Islam. You know, I, this is after trying, as I said, virtually everything. So when they came to me and said they wanted to become Muslims, afterwards I spoke with my mother and asked her, okay, why did you guys decide now? Why not back then when I had you read the book and I'd explain and so many things to you? And um, she said that there were main, two main factors. One that they could see my behavior to them, how I treated them, how I loved them, looked after them, was always contacting them. My brother and sister, who are now adults, etc. Oh, my brother was a PhD, also professor in university. But whatever problems they had in their lives, they would say, you are the reason, pointing to my parents, you know. They blamed my parents for everything that went wrong in their lives, whereas I refused to do that. I looked at them as having tried their best and would not blame them so they could see the difference, what Islam made in my life in terms of how I treated them. So the other thing which my mom explained to me was that uh, when they were in Jeddah, it was after they ran the school in uh, Riyadh and they went back to Canada. They came back to Jeddah to work for a few more years in Jeddah. I had gone to visit my mother and she told me that 
she was seeing and feeling there was something in the house you know she would see something seeming to move very quickly she couldn't see exactly where it was what it was but she felt it was something like an evil spirit or something that was there so she made with crochet I don't know if you know crochet but this is kind of a knitting women knit uh, huh? so she knitted a cross huh? and she put it over the door right and the thing still ran around it was still moving around in the house the cross did nothing right so she came and when I came to visit she told me about the problem so I took the Quran and I recited read Surah Al-Baqarah in the living room in the house Surah Al-Baqarah and I went back to Riyadh and I didn't think about it after that she said you know after you read Surah Al-Baqarah it stopped so she said that was proof to me that there is something about Islam which although she was looking at Islam and Christianity as being about the same you know she had a good idea about Islam Christianity but then she, that showed her that there was something Islam had that Christianity didn't have it had to do with this belief in God etc so uh, Alhamdulillah that was the other point for her which made helped to make her make that decision to become a Muslim so inshallah if you're having this in your home use Surah Al-Baqarah Prophet ﷺ said you read Surah Al-Baqarah you know shaitan will not come to your home for like three days and nights huh? so you use it this is you see the power of it Allahu Akbar uh, you should uh, use it yourself this is what the Prophet ﷺ has given us and don't use the other things I know there are other people who tell you you have spirits you need to do this pour water you know you need to write things and burn things and wear things and all kinds of other no that is not from Islam Surah Al-Baqarah is what Rasulullah gave us whilst I uh, after I accepted uh, sorry after I completed my PhD I became a university professor of Arabic and Islamic studies in the UAE I moved to the UAE I was teaching in university there uh, and I started the first Dawah Center in the UAE in, in uh, Dubai and uh, ran it and towards the end of the 90s uh, I had many students who were studying in circles that I did in masters and centers there one student came to me and asked me a question you know whether I had lived in Saba he was a Malaysian he asked me so I said yeah I did I said why he said because my brother he had taken one of my books back to Saba and showed it to his brother because he was younger his brother was from my age group actually his brother was a student in the school that I went to a close friend of my brother um, so when he saw the name and that though my name had changed right but still Phillips was still there my family name right Bilal Phillips born in Jamaica he's saying I wonder if it's the same person 
So he had his brother ask me and I confirmed it. So they invited me to come to Saba, right, to visit Saba. And when I went there, I met the former members of the group, the, the rock group from 20 years, 30, 40 years before. And Allahu Akbar, both of the other two band members had accepted Islam. Uh, one had gone to Australia, accepted Islam in Australia. The other one accepted Islam there in Kota Kinabalu. And I accepted Islam in Canada. Allahu Akbar. So that was a, a, a beautiful uh, ending. And that basically you know, concludes my story. Of course, in, the, in 2000, the year 2000, I set up a university. You've heard about it, the Islamic Online University. And this is where I'm mostly focused now. Uh, we have over 250,000 students around the world and the goal is to spread the teachings of Islam to all who wish to find it, particularly to the Muslim world, to Muslims, and even to non-Muslims who want to know what Islam is. So although you might think that if I have a university with 250,000 students, I must be a millionaire, right? Because <laughs> all, all it takes is for each one to pay $10, and I'm a millionaire, right? However, just to let you know, uh, of the 250,000 students, 245,000 of them study for free. There are no costs at all. It's absolutely free. No hidden costs. So I'm not a millionaire. The 5,000 students who actually pay fees, which are very, very low fees, that is used to run the university. And alhamdulillah, uh, this is what we are bringing here to Indonesia. And uh, inshallah, we hope to uh, spread information about it. And those of you who want to understand English, who want to study the deen in English, you can do it now from your home. You don't have to go into travel to Saudi Arabia or to Egypt or whatever. You can do it right from your own home. Alhamdulillah. Okay, the last uh, point I'd just like to raise is that if any of you uh, know English and would like to contribute to the translation of my university course from, uh, from English to Bahasa, uh, please contact the organizers of this program, uh, our representatives from the Islamic Online University here. We have Daru, we have another brother, Adi Wira from Jogjakarta. Uh, to participate with us in this effort to make that university available to the majority of people uh, in Indo Indonesia, inshallah. This is the goal, to spread the knowledge, and I know that most of you don't know uh, English, so we are trying now to turn this program into Indonesian, inshallah. What is the most appealing or what is most appealing from Islam that attracted you to it? Uh, actually, I already explained in the um, presentation that 
it was the completeness of Islam in offering solutions to all aspects of life. It's comprehensiveness that it covers everything. And personally, I would say that becoming a Muslim, the path in life became clear. Um, before being a Muslim, I was unsure of what was right, what was wrong, trying this, trying that. Once one accepts Islam, then Sirat al-Mustaqim, the straight path, in all affairs becomes clear. Life becomes much easier because you don't have to be trying to figure out this and figure out that. Islam has made the clear way for you. Uh, okay, there's another part to the question. What would be my advice to uh, doing dawah in Indonesia where Muslims don't really know Islam properly, they're unfamiliar with the Sunnah, and the non-Muslims are sick of Islam. that uh, the solution is to learn Islam, spread the knowledge of Islam, and that will be enough to bring people back to Islam. And when non-Muslims know what the true teachings of Islam are, then inshallah they will accept Islam as I experienced where we had a chance to give dawah to the American troops so many of them accepted Islam so easily and more than 20 people a day were accepting Islam and that was just because they were able to hear Islam correctly Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh I would like to ask Sir Bilal Phillips how are you sir? Brian, yourself. Uh, it's it's glad to have you here, uh, but I'm wondering, like, do you have any uh, down situation uh, during your hijra period, like, like what we have here, like when we do hijra uh, and the bankruptcy, it's coming to us, or or our family avoiding us, or or any difficulties that came to us during our hijra period. Do you have such things like that? Thank you. By hijra, I'm understanding that you're talking about the transition into Islam. Huh? Um, Alhamdulillah, I really didn't have any problems because my parents were positive. They accepted my acceptance of Islam. And um, so my journey into Islam was quite simple. I have many friends who had many difficulties, 
some kicked out of their homes I remember one Jewish friend even told me that uh, his family told him not to call them anymore because they, they made Salatul Janazah for him you know so but alhamdulillah I was blessed with an easy transition any particular uh, advice for us to stand in the in the right path that we choose right now that uh, that we, for us that hijra can could make us down you know like like i said before like economic problems like family problems like even uh, some of us have a, have a really bad situation with the with our wives when we do hijra when we grew our beard like something like that do you have any tips for that well, I would just say that whatever tests that you face are set by a law to develop your faith, that you become stronger. Allah okay. told us, La yukallifullahu nafsan illa wus'aha, that nobody is burdened with a test too great for him or her to handle. So just keep in mind that whatever you face is within your ability to handle. And when you handle it, you become a better person. So it, Allah has chosen these tests to bring out the best in you. Thank you. Alhamdulillah. Our guest here is asking about the correct understanding of the Trinity uh, since from her perspective it is correct um, Islamically Allah is God is one and this is what all of the prophets of God taught Jesus, even in the Gospels, does not refer to three gods. When he was asked what is the fir first commandment, he, re he repeated the same commandment which Moses uh, taught. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. So, the whole idea of Trinity is something which was added to the religion which Jesus brought and turned it into another religion. Jesus taught one God and he worshipped that one God. The Trinitarian concept say that Jesus was God. He was the son of God and at the same time he was also God. So if he was God then the question is who did he pray to? If he was God it means he was praying to himself which is futility. It's confusion. God, Jesus in all of the texts of the New Testament the Gospels considers God 
to be other than himself. There are many statements that he is supposed to have made. The father, for example, the father is greater than I. So he's saying that obviously he and God are not one and the same. So the idea of Trinity, my advice to those Christians who believe in it, it is best for you to research the origin of the concept of Trinity. Because the early followers of Christ did not teach it. It came about in the fourth century. Prior to that, people believed God was one and Jesus was a prophet of God. And the famous bishop of Alexandria who upheld that concept in the Council of Nicaea where the Trinitarian idea was established. His name is Arius. Read about Arius and understand that the Christians of uh, or the followers of Jesus in the East believed that he was a prophet of God and God was one. It was the Romans and the Greeks who promoted the idea that Jesus was God. And your common sense should tell you that if Jesus and God were one and the same, God's attributes are infinite and eternal. Jesus' attributes were those of a human being. God is not born, he was born. God does not die according to their teachings, he died. Jesus died. We don't believe he died as Muslims, but according to their teachings, he died. So these are not the attributes of God. God is without beginning and without end. My basic advice for yourselves and for myself is to seek to understand the teachings of Islam. Not merely to learn information about Islam, but to actually understand it. As we read Quran, in Ramadan, for example, we read Quran with the intention of trying to complete the reading of the whole Quran in Ramadan. But that wasn't the goal of the reading of Quran. The goal of reading the Quran in Ramadan is to hear and understand the words of Allah and to try to put it in our lives. So better for you if all you can do is to read Surah Al-Baqarah and read it along with the tafsir, translation tafsir, and you have understood that in Ramadan, that is better for you 
than to have read the whole Quran and understood nothing. So we have to make priorities in our application of Islam. The key is understanding. So whether it is Salah, reflecting on the purpose of Salah, not just the ritual of Salah, but what is Salah supposed to do? It is supposed to change our character. Inna salatanha anil fahshai wal munkar. So Salah prevents us from evil speech and evil deeds. If it's not preventing us from evil speech and evil deeds, then the Salah that we are doing is not the Salah which Allah prescribed. We are doing rituals and the Salah is a system for change. It's different from what we are doing. So we need to treat all of our Islam that way to understand what the goals of the pillars and the principles of Islam are and to seek to achieve those goals. I pray that Allah gives us the understanding of the deen as the Prophet ﷺ had said, "May yuridillahu bihi khayran, yufaqihu fiddin." Whoever Allah wishes good, He gives them the deep understanding of the Deen. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashhadu alla ilaha ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubu alaik, wa natubu alaik, wa natubu alaik, wa natubu alaik, wa natubu.